Good morning. My name is Gabriella Straka. I've been a member of NBC for six months, and today's scripture I'll be reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this is the word of Christ. You may be seated. As we start this morning especially since it's Memorial Day weekend, we do want to take a moment to uh, just recognize those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we possess. These are not uh, free. The freedom that we have is not free. It was paid for at a great cost by the lives of the servicemen and women who gave their lives for you and for me. And so we want to take a moment to recognize that. And so uh, a couple of things I'm going to ask today. First, I'm going to ask if you're a family member of someone who gave their life uh, for the service of our country, would you stand right now? If you uh, have a family member. And if you would stay standing, and I'd like to ha- ask to join you, those who had friends. Maybe you've served in the military and you've had friends that died. Maybe you've just been somebody who uh, uh, was a friend to someone who died and you knew their name. Would you stand right now uh, as well? Because that's a great loss for many of you as well. And so would you stand? Thank you so much. Praise God. I'm somebody who would stand in that second group. So uh, I praise God. For those who gave their lives for our country, Susan's uncle gave her life, uh, his life uh, uh, in World War II. I talked to a guy today uh, that uh, had somebody who, who gave their life sacrificially, didn't need to, could have just ejected from their plane. Instead, uh, if they would have, the plane would have crashed in the ship and killed them. And instead, they guided it away in order to save the ship. These freedoms that we have, so many places in the world don't have. These freedoms that we have is in part one of the reasons why America gives more to missions and the missionary effort than any other country on the planet by a large margin. God has used this country for his glory, but it means that it's been the sacrifice of those who have given themselves so much for so many, uh, and so uh, by so few. So uh, let's pray, and let's talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for times like this to just stop, to pause, and remember. People that we don't know, some that we do know, that gave their lives for our country, gave their lives so that we could worship you this morning. Father, I think of so many places today where that's not the case and where freedoms are being lost 
as, even as we speak, Christians being persecuted. And Father, we have been given so much, Lord, I pray that if you tarry, that we would continue to serve you, to love you like we just sang about, and to know you. And Father, I pray that you, and thank you for these families that have given so much. And Lord, I, I thank you for the lives that were given so that we can be here today. Father, we do also remember at this time Jesus Christ and him giving his life so that we could also experience a freedom that's even beyond the one that we experience as being citizens of this country, but being citizens of heaven. When we believe on Jesus and respond to the sacrifice that he made by receiving Christ into our lives, Lord, I thank you for him. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we get into your word that you would transform our hearts. That as we get into the word, that the word would get into us and change us. Make us more like Jesus. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. All right, I'd like for you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. Continuing our study on have this mind. And I know that we talked about before that the book of Philippians typically is, is translated or is, is seen as the book of joy. But I see this book now as I've studied it this time as a book of have this mind. And when we have this mind, we will experience this joy. And so that's the premise for, for this series as we look at it. Now, as I told you in times before, we're taking kind of the, the drones view of Philippians this time. We're not getting into every nitty-gritty detail because I want you to see uh, the, the book as a whole, the book at large, where God's going with this, where Paul is leading us. Because he starts out in chapter 1 and he talks about the gospel and the advance of the gospel and your participation in it. And he, tip, and he says that, that we need to have uh, being one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he says you want to have this mind, a gospel mindset. That you live your lives worthy of the gospel. He says, that's the mindset that you want to have in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says, have this mind that was in Jesus of humility and of thinking other, of others before yourself. And so a mindset of the gospel and that everything that we do somehow orients to the gospel message itself. That Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave and you can be saved by faith and that we live that way. So that our lives glorify God and that we become lights in a dark world and they begin to see Jesus. And so then we apply that to being humble in our lives by thinking about others. Like I said last time, not thinking less of ourselves, just thinking of ourselves less. That we're thinking of others. Well, in chapter 3, the focus here. As we saw in the passage that was read by Gabby, thank you, uh, is the uh, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10, that I may know him. That I may know him. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. And there's several other phrases there. That I may know him. 
We need to use good Bible study method here, asking the questions who, what, when, where, why, and especially wherefore, how does it apply to my life? It's Paul speaking. Where is he? He's in prison in Rome. We know that from chapter 1. Praetorian guard, which is the, the guard of, of Caesar and the guard of, 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 of Rome. And then at the end of the book where he, where he says, the household of Caesar, those who are believers in the household of Caesar greet you. He's in Rome in prison. And he's not at the beginning of his life saying, well, you know, I just had the Damascus Road experience, Acts chapter 9, and so now I need to actually get to know Jesus. He's at the end of his life. He's already been on three missionary journeys and he's traveled all over and he's, been, he's suffered so many things, been beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all these things. And now on his fourth journey, he's made his trek to Rome. And at the end of his life, that's why the when is so important. Who, what, when. At the end of his life, he's saying, I want to know Jesus. And you're going, wow, that's a lifelong thing. And you find out later in the passage, he says, I'm pressing on to make it my own because Jesus Christ, verse 12, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I'm not looking at the regrets of the past. I'm looking forward. I'm saying focused on forward, on, on, on tomorrow, not today, not yesterday. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he said, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, what way? That I want to know Jesus. And the word that's used there in uh, um, the idea of verse 10, that I may know him, is the Greek word gnosko. There's another Greek word called oida. Oida is factual knowledge. When I read a biography or an autobiography of Churchill or of, of someone else, uh, I feel like at the end of the biography or autobiography that I know this person, but I don't. I only know about them. I can tell you all about their life. I can tell you how where they were born and what house they grew up in, and especially if they include pictures and a brownstone or a whatever in England. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I know all about this person, but I couldn't walk up and say hi to them. They don't know me. Like Jesus said, get away from me. I never knew you. It's not about doing miracles. It's not about prophecy. It's not about doing all these different things, Bible studies and attending church and, and everything else. It's about knowing him, that that should be our lifelong pursuit, that we know him. In fact, I was Googling different spiritual goals that people have in their life. They're great goals. There's a, there's a great list of them. Here's eight top spiritual goals in one site said, read the entire Bible. Actively take part in church services. Make daily prayer a habit. Keep a spiritual journal. Practice forgiveness. Give back. Converse with God daily. Read encouraging books. Great list of things. Another one said, know what you believe. Be real. I'm not real sure what that one means. Put God first. Stay strong. Grow in your faith. 
Memorize God's word. Be, be the kind of friend you'd like to have. I mean, a great list of stuff. Another one, spread kindness, practice gratitude, take a leap of faith, uh, cultivate solitude, spread love everywhere you go, get your priorities straight. All these lists, and I think, okay, what's Paul's list? He gives us his list. There's four things on it. Verse 10, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And I was thinking, how do, how do we know the power of his resurrection? In Ephesians, if you back up into the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul praying for the Ephesian church. And what he prays for is he says, I, he gives thanks to, the, to them, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Toward us who believe. What kind of power? He goes on and says. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. He's talking about resurrection power there. In Ephesians chapter 1. In his prayer. Praying that they would have eyes to see it. And here in Philippians. He says he wants. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3. He says he wants to know the power of his resurrection. Well how do you know that? Because you see things that only God can do in somebody's life. Henry Blackaby years ago in the book Experience in God was talking about how do you know how to experience God? Because that's what this word gnosko means. It means to experience God. Not just to know about God, but to experience him. It's the difference between book learning and actual practice or internship. I remember when I was a college student, I worked at a moving company. And this moving company, uh, I worked there three summers. And every time we would show up, the guys that had been there for 15 or 20 years, these older guys would look at us and say, well, here's these college boys. You, don't, you guys don't know anything. You're wet behind the ears. You got a lot of book learning or book learning, but you don't have practical experience. And they were right. It's the difference between when I graduated from seminary and came to start a church versus now. I have 30, almost 37 years of experience. It makes a big difference to take that knowledge and begin to live it out in life. And I can tell you what, that's the guy that you want to do surgery on you too, by the way. <laughs> You want that guy, you don't want the guy that, that's looking at it and say, okay, step number one, uh, draw a dotted line, two, you know, make the cut. I mean, you don't want that guy, right? And fortunately, they don't do it that way. They have, a guy goes through, gets his medical degree, and then he gets practical intern experience. He's with a surgeon, if he's going to be a surgeon, he's with another surgeon, and the surgeon's showing him how it's done and giving him the scalpel occasionally and saying, yeah, do this, and, and he's doing it, and it's for the first time, and, and it's okay because you got that experienced seasoned guy right there or gal that's right there that knows what they're doing. It's that kind of word that Paul uses here, gnosko, that I may experience him. 
not just know about Jesus. I think that so many times we can just have book learning on Jesus. We read the scriptures and we gain knowledge and it just stays there. And Jesus said in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think they have life. It is these that tell of me. He cares about us knowing him. That's why he says, you can do all these things I never knew you. It's the idea of knowing Christ. Yeah, I can have salvation, but never grow in Christ, which means that I never grow in maturity. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature, is who he's speaking to. He's, he's wanting us to be mature. And the question that I ask is, am I mature or am I a rookie, immature? And you can say, well, I've been a, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I've seen two kinds of Christians that have been Christians for 50 years. Those who have one year experience 50 times in a row, and they're like a one-year-old Christian 50 years later. Or the person who grows gradually over that 50-year period, and they're mature in Christ. They've grown so much. And there's someone you look at and go, wow, they have so much wisdom. They understand the scriptures well. And it doesn't just happen accidentally. It means that every time I open this book, every time I listen to a podcast, every time I listen to a sermon, I need to be asking myself, Lord, what do you want me to walk away from here with? How do you want me to know you more because I've learned this thing? Because I've, I've taken time to engage your word. I hope that I never walk away and close my Bible and am not changed by it. Because then I'm just hardening my heart to the word. I can listen to it, be convicted, done, over. That's why the wherefore is so important. If I'm going to experience Christ, that means that I've got to go and live with him in life. I think so many times we say, well, I'm going to do something for Jesus. I'm going to do it for him. And that's okay as long as I'm doing it with him. And I think so many times we do for without with. And we need to do it with. That's when I experience God. I remember years ago reading a book, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And he talked all about, you know, these different things about, you know, being the knight in shining armor and damsel in distress and all these stories. And he was kind of bringing all that together. But the chapter that struck me the most was the chapter written by his wife. Sorry, John. Um, <laughs> Because his wife made this statement. He said, we don't want to be the adventure. We want to share in the adventure. And I think so many times in marriage life, we're looking at each other. And that's okay, some. But you need to look together in the same direction and serve the Lord together and do together. And when you're doing life together, your, your, your relationship really deepens as you experience those things together, it's the same thing with Jesus. I think so many times we're just looking at him. And that's great. And we should be doing that. I think evangelism, one of my favorite definitions, is taking a long look at Jesus and then telling people what you see. I think that when you think about this relationship with Christ, when I walk with him, when I begin to follow him, and I'm just learning to do that. Here I am, 67. I'm still learning to do that. As I follow Jesus, and we follow Jesus together, that we're thinking about, Lord, 
What are we doing next? Where are we going next? And it may scare you to death. It may create anxiety in you. I'm getting ready to go to Tanzania and for some reason I find my anxiety level kind of rising a little bit because of the travel and because of COVID tests and get everything on time and making sure, you know, all that stuff. And so I still have a lot of work to do to learn to just walk with him and, and, and just experience the peace that passes understanding. And so I just look to him and say, Lord, this is scary, but this is exciting. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. If I'm a little anxious now, there must be something neat down the road that's going to happen. And I'm looking for his hand. I'm looking for him to work. I'm looking for him to do something that only he can do. And when I see it, I'll know it because it'll be a changed life. It'll be resurrection power. And I'll walk away from there with sheer joy in my heart. That's why I think this is the book of joy. Because when you experience Christ, you'll never be the same. I was raised in a tradition where I didn't experience Christ. I didn't know Christ. I saw God as holy other. I, I, it blew me away when somebody first told me uh, or asked me, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? I didn't even know what that meant. Christ was whole, I mean, God to me was holy other. He was in unapproachable light. He was someone who, who I could never get to know and that I could only be in awe of and fear of. And that I worked like crazy, or you're supposed to anyway, I didn't, uh, but you're supposed to work like crazy in order to maybe somehow earn salvation. And then when somebody said, do you know Jesus is your personal savior? I had no clue what that meant. What does it mean, personal? And so here I went to Austin to go to school. Not a Christian, big Christian town in some ways. It's definitely not a Christian campus. And God found me. He drew me to himself. And I don't know how that happened. I still look back and go, I don't know how that happened. I was not seeking him. I was going the opposite direction. I was running away from him and he still got me. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but I praise God for it. And I remember my parents saying, oh, he'll grow out of it. It's some religious thing he's gotten involved in. Well, I've never grown out of it. That was in 1972, and here in 2022, I haven't grown out of it. I haven't gotten over it because Christ grabbed my heart. He didn't just grab my religious experience. He grabbed my heart. And when you experience God and you begin to, to live with him and walk with him over those last, what was that, 50 years. Wow, I'm not even that old. How can I have 50 years? <laughs> over the last 50 years, I've watched his hand over and over and over. And there's things in life I don't understand, but I've watched him work. When you're serving with him and you're saying, Lord, you're talking to him in the midst of something you're doing and saying, Lord, I really want you to do this right now. And all of a sudden he does way beyond that. And you go, I just saw God's hand at work. It is something only God can do. A changed life. A person came to Christ or a, a person changed their, their mind about something. Wow. You come to a sermon and you listen to it and you walk away and go, wow. And, 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 and your life is completely different and never will be the same. And I go, that's the hand of God. I didn't do that. 
I didn't make that happen. I can't change hearts. I don't have that power. All I can do is just be a messenger that God sent me to do and do watering and planting and then just trust him and see what he does. And when we walk with him, then we get to know him. And as we read his word and we spend time in it, it's no longer just an autobiography about God that we kind of know about God, but don't know him. But when we're adding the, not just the who, what, when, where, and why, and become academic, but the wherefore, and it becomes a heart issue. It becomes part of us. He becomes part of us. And in fact, that's a phrase that threw me in this, in this passage in chapter 3, verse 2, when he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's talking about the Judaizers who came in and kept saying, you need to follow the law. Because if you follow the law along with Christ, how much better? And, there's, and, and it was like, no, the law doesn't save us. In fact, later in verse 9 of chapter 3, he makes that very clear that it's not because of the law. In 3.9, he says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not keeping the 613 commandments, which he talks about and gives his resume earlier about his being circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, uh, blameless, all those things, blameless before the law, but not before Christ. And he says, it's not that. He says, I got the resume. You want the resume? I got the resume. And that's nothing. That's rubbish. That's, and the Greek word there, skubala. It's dung. The best I have, nothing. It's worthless. And you think about that, and you think, in my life, what do I value? Is it the skins I got on the wall in my office, uh, the uh, undergraduate degree, the master's degree, whatever, ordination certificate, other stuff? Is it that? No, that's rubbish. When Jesus came along, the law was done. It was finished. He completed it. Back in the Civil War, after it was over, the Confederate money became worthless. I was looking at other currencies in the world that have become greatly devalued. Um, one of them, uh, I forget, I was uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, it said about their currency, about, I believe back in 2008, that it lost half its value every 24 hours. Can you imagine? what that would do to an economy, a culture. Another one um, uh, was, and I just went blank on it, uh, I think it was Iran, back in, in 97, went, I mean, lost 400% of its value in a short time. And you look at the law, and he's saying, the law lost 100% of its value. You think, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the Old Testament? And, and I said, yeah, okay. And, and you, you know, there's the, you talk about the civil law and the ceremonial and the moral law. And, and the civil law was what ran their country. And what the, the ceremonial law was the, the uh, sacrificial system which Jesus Christ supplanted as Hebrews talks about. 
And then there's the moral law, and you think, oh yeah, well, at least the moral law continues. Think, well, only that which is restated in the new covenant. Like the Ten Commandments, nine of them are restated in the, in the new covenant. But not the Sabbath one. And you kind of go, oh, so we're not supposed to keep the Sabbath? Well, it was made for us. So we probably should. But the other nine, Jesus upped the game. He made it even more stringent on the moral issue. Oh, you say it's, and don't murder? I'm saying don't hate your brother or sister. How about try that one on for size? Don't have bitterness, anger. How many, people, how many of us can say that there's nobody we're angry at? Oops. And so he upped the game. And is the Old Testament valuable? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're blessed if we read it. Romans 15, 4 says, we get hope from reading the Old Testament. We don't understand the new without the old. But he says, we are the circumcision. What does he mean by that? We are. It means our hearts have been circumcised. Romans 2, verse 29. We are the circumcision. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about me. It's not about the skins on the wall. It's not about having, in his case, all the credentialing. It's not that. It's knowing Christ and knowing him by faith. Having a righteousness, not of my own that comes from the law, he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, verse 9, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a faith life. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But the life I now live, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, and, and this first part he's talking about us, knowing Christ by the, by the Spirit of God by faith. That's the life we live. And that we're pursuing him. And that's what he goes on. He says, I, don't, I haven't already obtained this. And what is it? Know him, the power of his resurrection. So experiencing him, experiencing his hand at work, sharing in his sufferings. Oops, uh, we don't want that one, so let's mark that one out, right? <laughs> no, sharing in his sufferings. How do I share in his sufferings? When you suffer the body suffers with you. When the body of believers in Uvalde suffer, we suffer with them. And we suffer for Christ's sake when we're walking with Christ and, and, and we go through a period of time in our life where we never back off, we never change. Job didn't change just because he went through suffering. And in fact, that was... Satan's whole point, he says, ah, if, if you make things happen bad for him, then he'll stop serving you. He's only serving you because you give him good things. Almost like my dog, Chip. If I give him a treat, he'll do anything, right? And if I don't give him a treat, he kind of looks at me like, I'm not doing that. And, and is that the way we live? Like my dog, Chip? No, we serve even though we suffer, we still love him. Even though we go through hard times, we still walk with him. We still believe that he has our good in mind, even though we don't understand it, even though we may ask why. And we press on to make it our own. 
Because Christ Jesus made his, us his own. And he says, I, I do not consider that I've made it my own. And I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, putting regrets behind me, putting everything behind me, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? Knowing him. That's the call. That's what we've been called to do is to know him. As you've heard me mention before, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. It is these that tell of me. We want to know him. He wants us to know him. And more than just intellectually, more than just, this, is, this can be for two different Christians. One can read their word and just become more intellectual as a believer. Another one can read it and become more compassionate and more Christ-like. What's the difference? One applies. One asks the wherefore. The one would, will read the word and say, as if you're having a coffee conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, how does this one work? What does this one look like on Monday morning or now this week, Tuesday morning? What is this going to look like when I'm around my family this weekend? How is this going to work? So what? Who cares that I know this stuff? Who cares that I know that I need to know Jesus? Who cares that I, I know this stuff if it makes no difference in my life and how I live? And so I press on. And if I'm mature, I'm going to think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will make this clear to you. God's going to reveal that to me. The Holy Spirit is going to convict my heart of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to make it clear when it's not happening in my life. And I need to be sensitive to that when he does it. And I need to respond to him like the scriptures tell me. And if I'm spending time in his word, I'm listening to him and I'm asking and I'm not just filling in blanks in a Bible study book. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, how do you want me to be different? What is this telling me right now for me? And then he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example, example you have in us. What are we doing? What he's doing is knowing Christ. So what I need to do is follow that example, know him. And then he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is their destruction their God is their belly their glory is in their shame and they're with minds set on earthly things I know people who have walked away from the faith and it grieves my heart how do I keep from being that casually? I don't set my mind on earthly things. I set my mind on Jesus. I set my mind on others and humility. I set my mind on the gospel and I refuse to change because I know it is true. And I know that the more I dig into his word, yeah, I may adjust an understanding of a particular verse, but I don't deconvert. I don't change who I know because I know him. I've known him for 50 years of my life and I love him and I pray that as I grow in him more that I will love him more and more deeply because I don't think of myself as a citizen of this earth even though I am the way I think of myself is our citizenship is in heaven verse 20 and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ can't wait till he comes back. 
But until then, I want to live a gospel mindset. I want to live a humble others mindset. And I want to live a knowing him and get to know him more because there is great joy in knowing him. In your presence is fullness of joy. Psalm uh, 16 says, in your presence uh, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. His, our joy comes from being, from knowing him who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power, the resurrection power, that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We serve a God that can be known. We serve a God that wants to be known. He gave us his word. He wrote about himself so that we could know him. Jesus died on a cross so that we could have a personal relationship with him, not just a holy other relationship. But he wants us to experience him walking every day when we walk out this door saying, okay, Lord, what's next? Lord, what do you want me to get involved in? How do you want me to get out of this seat and get involved in something that you have for me? Because I want to do it. You died for me. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Even if it creates a little anxiety in my heart, I'll go to Tanzania. Even if I don't want to sleep on the ground, I'll go sleep on the ground. Because you died for me. These are small things compared to what you have done. And they are nothing in comparison with knowing you. So I want to ask you, do you want to grow into maturity in Christ? Do you want to know him and experience him? I want that for you. Because I know what kind of joy that brings in your life. Yeah, you see me tears, but they're tears of joy and deep affection for my Lord. And I want that for you. I want you to experience that. Because when you experience Jesus in that way, 50 years will go by in a flash and you'll look back and go, wow, what God has done. Lord, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us and your grace. You died in our place, Jesus, and we are thankful you gave us freedom. You set us free. Set us free to enjoy the joy of knowing you. Of being related to you. Of, of relating to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just make secondary goals the primary one. Help us to make the primary goal the goal. Knowing you. And reading the Bible in a year is just focus on you. And being with you. Memorizing your word just to be with you and understand it and have you speak to us at times when your spirit reminds us of your word. To talk to you. To take risk that you ask us to take and listen to you about what you want us to do. Lord, I pray that we would be a church family that together just follows you. And just gets out of the seat and doesn't just, isn't content with just the status quo Christianity, but wants more, wants meaningful Christianity. And so we're going to know you and then walk with you. Lord, I love you. We love you. And we pray that you would grow us in Christ. Because we so long for that. And I know there are those here who understand what I'm talking about because they're experiencing some of the same things. Lord, I long for them to grow deeper. I long for all of us to grow more in our understanding of you and in following you.
and in experiencing you. Lord, we love you and we worship you today. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.